Hi, my name is Alan Fasfeldt, and this is episode number 40 of the Urban Astronomer podcast, December Solstice edition. That means Clem Unger is joining us. Uh, hello, Clem. Hello, Alan. How are you doing? I am well, thanks. Uh, what's the time there? It must be crazy. Um, it is crazy. It's um, yeah, just before two o'clock in the morning, and uh, but you know, astronomers put stuff like that away without any drama. But uh, it's in the afternoon uh, for you in South Africa, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's late afternoon here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, same old problems, you know. Always trying to find that gap when I don't have kids yelling at me or <laughs> yeah, that's right but but here it's quite possible that uh, you know i get stirred up by a cat who suddenly decides to want to be fed or something like that so uh, yeah <laughs> well if that happens i'm if that happens then i'm sure i'm sure our listeners will, will forgive it <laughs> yeah so um what's what should we start with we're going to start with our sky guide yes or maybe um how, how's observing been for you uh, um, following the last sky guide uh, to go out and, and look for that uh, comet Viltanen remember we were wondering how you pronounce it yes I, I did capture an image of it um, probably about oh I've forgotten that was about two weeks ago mm. it was quite dim but I managed to catch it uh, with, um, with my DSLR with a 50 milliliter, uh, millimeter lens uh, just on a static tripod because I didn't have much time to get the proper tracking mount out. And I captured it. Uh, it was dim, but it was there. I think it was still in um, in, in Fornax, I believe, at the time. Mm. And I haven't seen it since because uh, we are now in the rainy season and it's just been uh, storms every night. So I haven't seen much. How about yourself? Um, I've been out a couple of times and um, it brightened up nicely just like predicted and uh, I was out uh, was it a couple of days ago so it's very close to the players and um, it's a really good photo opportunity and um, it shows up sort of a nice mint green on, on, on photographs it's, it's it's really cool so um, it's done as, as we were told so it's fabulous and if it's dark sky it's naked eye object almost um mm. i think it's great because mm. that naked eye thing that that's what catches people isn't it because it's supposed to be magnitude what about four and a half at the moment yeah no it's actually it's even a bit better almost but um i mean i can forget it with naked eye because uh well i'm when i go outside um that's the worst part of my my sky and there's a little bit of light pollution so I, mm. I have troubles uh, picking it but um, with a, a pair of binoculars you have it straight away especially with uh, the play it's so nicely next to it no no issue finding it yeah no I I can normally make it down to about magnitude 4.5 under my skies which is not enough to see it because I've heard a few people complaining on Twitter that they're struggling to find it and it should be visible, but they always forget that that's the integrated magnitude. Mm. You know, that if it were a star, it would be visible, but that light is spread out over, over the over the coma. So it's it's a bit like when you're trying to find galaxies and nebulae, and it's supposed to be really easy just going by the numbers, but it isn't. But yeah, so binoculars and cameras because it is still up, it is still visible. Mm. Oh, absolutely, and uh, I mean, for us in the southern hemisphere, it it, um, it will now move on really swiftly. So, 
Um, we, we won't uh, have very much longer, but in the Northern Hemisphere, um, you'll see it quite a little bit longer. So, um, yeah, still a good show, definitely. And uh, I suppose uh, true Christmas comment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Tell me, did you catch any Geminids? Um, I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw a few, but uh, as, as always with, with uh, uh, meteor showers, it's a bit hit and miss. So, uh, But um, it's, it's, um, it's a really good shower and, and a bit underrated. Everyone says Persids, but uh, I think Geminids are the ones to really go for. Yeah. Myself, I don't normally bother with meteor showers. Mm. This one, I would have, I would have made the time for this one, but uh, again, it's it's been, been rained out every night, so I haven't caught it. Yes, um, I mean, uh, I've got uh, um, a little all sky camera um, and sitting outside, and uh, um, with that, you you sometimes can catch um, the brighter ones quite nicely. So. Um, and, and um, so even if you can't go outside and lie on your back on the lawn all the time, uh, um, you, you know, you still have something uh, um, on, on, uh, on recording if you want. So uh, You mentioned it. You mentioned that camera the other day. You said you built it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first, I had um, one of the smaller commercial ones uh, uh, from Orion. And... Uh, uh, but that did prove to be um, <clears throat> yeah, very durable. Uh, so after two years, the, the acrylic dome changed its color, and it's, and and, wow. uh, and it, it got uh, uh, the electronics got wet as well. So uh, which is really bad for a commercial model. <laughs> and uh, so I had a spare. Um, camera one of these ASI um, ones I used for planetary imaging and it's got a fairly nice uh, uh, CMOS uh, chip in it and it comes actually with um, a wide angle lens and uh, I thought okay um, let's see if we can stick it in a, um, a housing which I built out some old uh, rain or stormwater plumbing bits with a um, little acrylic dome on it which I found on, on the internet somewhere and uh, that works quite well and um, yeah I mean low cost if you want to have a really really good all sky camera I mean you're in for a pretty decent money but uh, that little setup works quite well no that's good I must maybe maybe just draw some plans up or something we can show people how to do it themselves yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's not difficult. Um, one thing that um, you need to look around for uh, is, is actually the detection software because um, if you have that thing running all night long, um, you, you, you very quickly fill your hard drives up with, with, uh, <laughs> with footage and also during the day, for instance, uh, mine runs all the time and it is sort of motion activated. It's and um, so <laughs> whenever a bird lands on it, it, it uh, you get the feed <laughs> feed off <laughs> feed off some some wildlife. It's quite funny. And um, yeah, so, 
and uh, you know it's it, it and I've got this software. It came actually with the with the other camera, and uh, but it's you can download it on on the internet, and uh, it, uh, it it runs the camera through some recording loop, and whenever there is a motion detected, it it actually. Uh, um, records it on on the hard drive, and, and uh, so you don't have hours of boring stuff. You actually get more the bits which are interesting. Mm. I've seen that same feature on security camera software as well. So it yeah, similar. Be hard to find. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Shall we uh, cut over to the the, the sky guide? Do you have anything interesting? Because um, I have very little. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's start with January. I mean, um, maybe just cover quickly the moon. Um, we've got new moon on the 6th, uh, first quarter 14th, full on the 21st, and last quarter on the 28th. And um, planet-wise, uh, Mars is the only naked eye planet in the evening sky. Everything else requires either staying up uh, for a very long time or setting your um, your alarm. And uh, if you do that, um, you've got uh, Venus uh, very bright in the morning sky, and um, you have a, a bit of a quartet going on in, in, in January. You have the chance to see Venus, Mercury, Jupiter, and Saturn. Um, so um, that's probably nice to see the old favourites again. But uh, yeah, you have to get up early. Have mm. you got? Have you got anything else for January? Mm. Uh, yeah, two things. Well, one doesn't apply to either of us, I don't think. There's a lunar eclipse on the twenty-first. Yep. Uh, let me see. I'm going to quickly do these time conversions in my head. Uh, it enters the Umbra at 4.41 GMT and leaves it at 5.44 GMT, mm -hmm. plus minus a few minutes, depending on you know where you are within your time zone. Uh, so I suppose people in the far west will see it, uh, the Americas and the South Americas, but uh, you and I are out of luck for that one. Uh, and there's another chance to spot the Lunar X uh, on the 13th. Yep. This is at um, at 12.35, so just after noon GMT. So again, I'm out, but you might have a chance for that one. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, also for, for um, Australia, uh, with, with the eclipse, it's... You can see it, but uh, not not fantastic. So uh, so um, yeah, not not great. <laughs> mm. uh, let me see what else. I just want to say something about that lunar X because it's gotten a bit of press recently. I think it's a fairly new concept, but maybe people aren't familiar with it. Um, you know what? I'm just going to read from the from the Astronomical Society South Africa Sky Guide here. It's um, Basically, when the, the terminator of the moon um, reaches a certain point uh, that is at a longitude of 1.1 degrees on the moon, um, you get an interesting effect where some shadows uh, of different craters combine in a way that forms a quite striking white X right on the terminator. Once you've seen it, it's very distinctive. Um, mm. Maybe I'll pop some photographs up on the, on the show notes page. But it's only visible for a few hours. 
and it happens fairly often. I've got date solicited here for I think every single month. Um, it's just not visible from the same place because sometimes the moon's going to be below the horizon in those few hours in wherever you are. Yeah. So at that time on the 13th of January, that's uh, that's 12:35 uh, p.m. Uh, if you can see the moon at that point, get your binoculars out and have a look. Mm. You should be able to see it quite easily. Yes. And, uh, yeah, because uh, the, the uh, terminator on the moon actually runs fairly quickly across the, the surface. And, and so uh, the visibility is, is, yeah, very limited for that feature. Uh, mm. So, yeah, get, get the old binoculars out and have a look. <laughs> Yeah. And that's me for January. Yes, and um, I mean, there is actually, uh, for our uh, Siberian <laughs> listeners, <laughs> there is there is a partial solar eclipse and uh, on the 6th, so um, which is um, visible in parts of Eastern Asia, um, some parts of the northern Pacific Ocean and best seen from northeastern Russia. Well, hello, <laughs> our friends in Russia. Uh, let us know if you let us know if you saw it. Hmm. Okay, so how about February then? Because um, yeah, go on. Okay, well, uh, let's let's cover um, the moon again. Uh, new moons on the fifth. First quarter on the 13th, um, full moon on the 20th, um, and the last quarter on the 26th of the month. Okay, I've got two close planetary pairings on the 13th, coinciding with the first quarter. Mars and Uranus are going to be less than a degree apart, um, 65 degrees east of the sun. Mm -hmm. And on the 19th, Mercury and Neptune will be very close. And that should be challenging to see because, of course, Mercury is never... In fact, Mercury is only going to be 15 degrees from the sun. Yeah. So I would say, unless you've got some specialized equipment, give that one a skip. Because mm. you're going to need binoculars and you're going to be pointing them very close to the sun. Correct. Uh, so Maybe not let that one go unless you have the right gear. Yeah, not a good combination if you do that <clears> and you, you, uh, you sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't don't do that mm. and um yeah on the 19th uh, venus uh passes saturn um at a distance of two moon diameters or again a bit more than a degree so close one okay oh and also another lunar x on the, on the 12th of february at uh 2 13 a.m uh, mm -hmm. GMT. Cool. Yeah, February. My God, we're racing through it, boy. Yeah, there's just uh, not much happening, is there? <laughs> well, at, le at least so sort of on, on, on the planetary side of it. Um, yeah. A few conjunctions and so on, but uh, yeah. What about March? What have you got there? March, another Lunar X on the 13th at uh, 3.26 p.m. GMT. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe for those who plan ahead, um, new moon on the 7th of March, first quarter 14th, full moon on the 21st, and the last quarter on the 28th. All right. Mm. And then 
in April I have another two close planetary pairings uh, Venus and Neptune apparently will only be 17.1 arc minutes apart which is less than half or it's about half of a full moon's width mm, that's very close yeah. but but when that happens we have already our next show on air mm. is that after the 10th of April yes it is you're right you're right I'm, I'm skipping a whole month ahead yeah well there we go spoilers for next episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, deep sky stuff. I think uh, this is a good time of year for us in the south. Um, yeah. Orion is getting nice and high. That's uh, right. The cross is up. And uh, uh, yeah, and, and you can look at all those those nice things um, uh, when you're wearing your shorts. So suck it up, guys, <laughs> up in the north. Um, <laughs> So it, that's that's a good one. Uh, the only thing is Orion's upside down. So, but hey, uh, I think that's a small price to pay. And mm-hmm. uh, and um, what I like at that time of the year is the Magellanic clouds. Very nice one. Yeah. Uh, so easy to pick, and um, especially for for those visitors to the southern hemisphere who. Um, come for a trip down south, um, definitely, definitely have a look up and you think, oh, there's a couple of small clouds in the sky. It's actually the Magellanic clouds. <laughs> it's amazing how bright they are. My favorite object over this period uh, to show visitors is Omega Centauri, that enormous, enormous globular cluster. It's a naked eye globular. Mm. Once, you point it, once you point them to it, it's the same as when you're pointing out M42 to people, the Orion Nebula. You say, see that one there, the middle of the star of the belt? It's a bit fuzzy, right? Right, yeah. you've just seen a nebula with your naked eye. Well, not, well, we, we can do that with a globular cluster as well. Mm. And it's quite fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and, I mean, that's huge. And as we uh, talked about in our last uh, um, special episode, uh, it's it's huge and and um, it's it's almost better in, in yeah, binoculars than looking at it uh, through a telescope because it's just so big. Yeah. Yeah, through the telescope, it, it completely fills the frame and you don't actually see it. You just see, it's like looking at a dense star field. Binoculars mm. actually give you give you that, um, that, that, that spherical shape. Mm. You can see its edges. Yeah, in fact... Now- I think it's it's great that one and forty seven uh, uh, Tucane is uh, mm-hmm. there's there's nothing in the northern hemisphere that comes close. Definitely the prettiest globular by a long shot. Mm. Definitely, good good. All right. Okay. So. What else have we got on the on the menu today? Uh, oh my goodness. This is an editable moment. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas star. Christmas star. Oh, yes, yes. I wanted to have a little monologue here, although you're welcome to interrupt me with your opinions. Mm. Um, You know, this is the time of year when the astronomy press starts bringing out theories about what the star of Bethlehem might have been. Mm. And every year it's the same old ideas, and it's usually some little bit new people offering them. And I had a go at this a couple of years ago, and I'd like to summarize my thoughts on the matter. It's traditional. Oh. It's nearly Christmas, so let's talk about this. Okay, fire away. Right. Well, 
Um, let me see. There's a lot of uh, so I was saying people like to talk about this. It's a it's a common subject. Sometimes it'll just be folks like us, like like you and me, you know, science communicators and and bloggers and what have you. And sometimes you see scientific papers being published, offering a new theory as to what it might have been. And it tends to boil down to the same few suspects. Uh, it was a comet or a planetary conjunction, maybe a very bright meteor I've seen, uh, mm. or a nova or a supernova. And those are typically there'll be variations on those mm. and I think though if you want to if you want to understand this you need to look at what the actual source material says now I'll, I'll skip you a bible reading here but... <laughs> phew got away with that one yep good <laughs> I, I read it so you don't have to. Uh, it appears once. It's in the book of Matthew, second chapter, verses 1 to 12. And the story basically goes that some magi, not kings, that's a popular culture Christmas carol story. Uh, it was magi who were wise men or probably astrologers or fortune tellers or what have you. And it's generally accepted that they came from Persia, modern-day Iran. And they arrived one day in Jerusalem having traveled from the east, that's all it says. Uh, they were trying to find the king of the Jews because they saw his star rising in the east and they had come to worship. Uh, the chief priests and teachers tell them of a prophecy by Micah that a great ruler will be born in Bethlehem. So they head out to Bethlehem, which was about 10 kilometers south, according to Google Maps today, which is a couple hours walk. And they find that the star is guiding them and eventually stops right above the very stable where Jesus was waiting. There's also lots of politics and Game of Thrones types, intrigues, you know, plots to murder the baby because the existing king doesn't want the competition and so on and so on. But we'll leave that aside. This is an astronomy show. We're interested in the star itself. Okay. So if we're going to explain what the star was, we need to find a natural phenomenon that meets those characteristics. It was visible for long enough that the Magi were able to travel all the way from their home country to Jerusalem and have time to make some inquiries around Jerusalem before being ushered into an audience with the king. And then for about two hours, it moved visibly, directing them precisely to a specific location and finally stopping directly above a certain point. So, Did, did anyone work out how long it in, in reality takes uh, sort of on camel back? Uh, to to uh, get from A to B? I think there can only be rough approximations. I I would guess maybe maybe a month or two. Okay. Mm. Uh, that's, I mean, I've never traveled by camel, I, but I... <laughs> <laughs> but that seems a reasonable estimate, you know, given um, the ideas of, of, of what travel times were, you know, uh, looking at long merchants would take to move their what-have-yous. So the problem now, trying to find a natural phenomenon that meets those characteristics, right? Mm. Um, and the problem is that most of the theories you get end up trying to have to interpret the well, the facts of the source material. Um, and that's a problem because it means that they're basically inventing additional facts to try and make the theory fit. Um, You'll get people running planetarium simulations and saying, well, on 5 BC, there was this alignment or what have you. And the problem straight away comes that nobody's clear when the birth of Christ was, what year mm. it was. Uh, there's historical problems. You know, you look at when Pontius Pilate uh, ruled uh, Judea, and you look at when King Herod was in charge. And okay, ruled is the wrong word, but never mind that. Um, and you end up with quite a broad period, and you just. It, 
no one's ever nailed it down. So straight away, you try to look for observations in Stellarium or what have you, and you don't even know what year you're looking at. So there's a problem there. Um, oh, I've talked myself into a circle. Where was I now? Uh, okay, Sorry. so what I'm... My fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no worries. But the, the thing is, you can't just go making assumptions yeah. and mm. guesses about what else was left out of the story. So I'm going to skip that and just stick to stick to what we know. Yep. Um, so if we go through the standard options that way, let's go through them one by one. Uh, a planetary conjunction. All right. The idea that these have astrological significance. If you you, you read a horoscope and they always talk about how Mercury is coming into your constellation and just ruining everything right because astrologers don't like mercury for some reason um but I mean, a conjunction, as, as, as we all know uh, <laughs> why are there so 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 few people uh, who've never seen mercury because it's very dim and you miss it um so yeah. um, i i i don't believe that so i think that's that's a no <laughs> It's also, you would think they would they would hate Mars more than Mercury, wouldn't you? Because Mars, as we know, eats spaceships, spacecraft. That's right. Uh, however, not the last one. So uh, Yeah, that was great. But yeah. Sorry, I'm off I'm topic again. We can talk about that just now. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> this was my fault. I sidetracked myself there. <laughs> um, so anyway, and, and, and a conjunction is just, where, well, it's the point when two objects pass each other the most closely, right? Hmm. So if two planets pass by each other, the moment when they're, they're, they're closest, we say that they are in conjunction. Um, and this happens all the time. I mean, because there's a lot of objects out there and they're moving around. There's dozens every year. Astrologers like them because, because they're common. And that means whenever something happens, there was a conjunction close by. You can blame that. Easy. Yeah. Um, but there are no set of rules to explain what any particular conjunction means. It's really up to the individual astrologer's judgment. And it was worse in the old days before they had internets to talk to each other, right? And try to come to some sort of conclusion. So you'll find that conjunctions don't really get used much for predictions. Um, and even if they were, um, you've got to remember that both Jewish and Christian traditions frown strongly upon astrology or any form of fortune telling, right? If you're going to get something from the future, it's got to be through an official prophet spoken to by God. God is the source, not these other things. Mm -hmm. So it seems a little odd that the Bible would give credence to a, you know, a heathen system, uh, a non-approved uh, non source. So, yeah, okay. I'm rejecting that one. I don't like the idea of that. Besides which, it says, the Bible says a star, not some stars moving together. That, you know... Uh, comets. Comet theory, the biggest problem here, apart from the whole astrology thing, is comets are traditionally and universally bad omens, right? A comet indicates the death of a king or a war or a, disease, a famine or disease or what have you. So anybody traveling a long way to see what the comet did, they're not looking for a birth. Mm -hmm. That's just, I mean, I don't know what they themselves thought, but it just doesn't seem to make sense you know that, that a bad omen says oh 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 a birth let's get some gifts and go celebrate you know <laughs> uh very bright meteors well i mean meteors move very fast that's simple they just don't stay visible for very long uh not much used to guide you over a several month journey you know um although i suppose you could say maybe the second part looking over guiding them towards the stable directly if you remember the chelyabinsk uh incident a couple of years ago 
um, there was that massive plume of cloud in the sky uh, yeah. that hovered for quite some time. But it also came with a massive sonic boom that shattered windows and put people in hospital. And uh, that's a pretty big, I think they would have included that. You know, yeah, it's a pretty and, significant and that, <laughs> event. That's right. And that means your camel would run away. So uh, because it's scared, <laughs> it's no good. Yeah. Uh, Novi and Supernovi. They're different things, but I'm lumping them together here because visually they're kind of the same. You know, a new star appears, it shines brightly, hangs around for a while, slowly fades away and vanishes eventually. Mm. So that could work because that is actually up in the sky for quite a long time, especially if it's a bright enough one. Uh, but again, the problem there is it only covers the first part of the story. You know, it doesn't explain the whole specific building thing. So... The story says quite plainly that the star shone in the east and then it guided the Magi to Jerusalem and then it also says that the star then guided them on the walk to Bethlehem and stopped over a specific building so they could pinpoint exactly where he was. Hmm. And it, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing in the natural world that does that. Aliens. What about aliens? Uh, we're not that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a few people. I'm sure it could be aliens, mm. yeah. Although there, there, are some, uh, there are some interesting sects and cults who say that Jesus was an alien. So, so you know, maybe, maybe, if we're mm. going in that direction. But uh, really, it, it, it only leaves two possibilities here. You know, one being that if you are religious and if you're faithful, then this was not a natural thing that can be explained scientifically. It was a miraculous light that was an actual genuine miracle because nothing else fits. Yep. Or, if you're not a religiously minded, uh, then it was just a story made up to fit a prophecy. Mm. One of the two. So, trying to find an astronomical explanation for it is a bit of a fool's errand, I think. And let's not do that. And there I am. I've just grinched this episode of <laughs> Christmas episode of the Urban Astronomer podcast. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, no, but uh, I have to agree. So, um, yeah. so, I hope we don't get hate mail now. Well, yeah, if they do, it's fine. I'm happy to. I'm happy to argue the point. But yeah, so. if there's hate mail, send it to Alan. And <laughs> if there's positive <laughs> stuff, send it to me. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Actually, no. Go ahead, do it. Do it. Mail me at uh, podcast at urban astronomer dot com. If it's a if it's a positive one, I'll forward it on to Clem, mm. and, and, and we can read <laughs> it out for you. And if and if it's a negative one, I will silently delete it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's all right um discussion is a good thing and, uh, yeah. yeah but uh, it's it's really uh, a strange one and i i think it's um very very hard to explain scientifically and and um yeah i think it's made up to hmm. fit yeah in fact i think the only reason it, it is that we have these articles appearing every year is because then it's a bit of a crowd pleaser you know it's it's topical it's evergreen you can always just recycle the same old story fire mm. up stellarium and say oh, oh but look yeah look yeah jupiter was close to mars and um well i think when they said in the east they meant rising and uh so it must have been that yeah anyway i think it's nonsense mm. all these theories uh yeah all right. Although we were talking about Mars just now, um, 
you are the mission updates guy. You can tell us all about what's. Is there anything that's been happening interesting recently? Mm, well, we had uh, we had the the landing of um, the NASA Insight mission on Mars. Uh, uh, we we mentioned that in our last uh, mission update, uh, um, successful, um, and um, we got some yeah, rather um, unimpressive sounds from Mars because. Uh, uh, the, some of the scientists they used the the seismometer which they had on board to to actually pick up some sound waves when the wind is blowing over the uh, over the lander. So um, yeah, it's not quite quite uh, interesting. I mean, maybe not the news of the year, but um, yeah, nice retasking of a of a uh, science package. I tried to listen to that recording and it was a bit disappointing because <laughs> yeah, I, had so, head, I, had so my, I was sitting at work with my nasty little you know, office-issued headphones on and I clicked play and nothing happened. Mm. And I read the fine prints and it said, make sure your subwoofer is turned up because mm. it's a very low... And, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but um, uh, I think, uh, what is it? The, the Mars 2020 rover, I believe, has a proper microphone um on board so so when they crunch through the landscape you probably can hear it that'll be interesting mm. Mm. so uh what else we had um osiris rex my my plucky little favorite uh, um arriving at asteroid Bennu uh, a couple of weeks ago uh and um uh, uh, for all those who haven't done so yet, um, go to the um, either Twitter or, or, or the website of the mission, asteroidmission.org, and, and have a look at the photographs because um, that asteroid really looks amazing. It's, it's like a, a sugar-coated, roasted, yeah, what, macadamia nut, I would say. So it's, it looks, looks <laughs> crazy. And um, I'm, I'm interested to see how they're uh, going to plan their um, uh, touch-and-go sampling because that's, that'll be tricky because you don't want to snag the spacecraft on some rock. Um, so um, it's really, really something to look forward to next year. Hmm. You know, that asteroid actually reminds me of a... And this is my, 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 my nerdy background coming out. It reminds you of an eight-sided die. Okay, but one you dropped in the dirt. Yeah, yeah, the one <laughs> you don't like anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it looks like coated with, with little bits and pieces, and uh, especially when you see um, the, the short... Uh, video sequence they have put together from from a number of photographs where you can see it rotating and there's in the southern hemisphere there's a couple of really large boulders and and mm. um, it looks it looks amazing and always remember it's pretty small it's only 500 meters in diameter so it's it's a dinky little thing really um uh, for asteroid standards, uh, if you compare it to something like uh, Vesta or Ceres, and mm. um, so which then in turn makes all these pr 
proximity operations on the surface like touch and go and, and orbiting around it really tricky because the gravity is virtually non-existent. Is that um, is there anything else? Um, oh, there's plenty, <laughs> plenty <laughs> more. So, I, I mean, one one thing um, I, I definitely, definitely recommend, um, if you're not too drunk um, on uh, New Year's Day morning, uh, go, oh, go, Ultima go, Thule. Ultima Thule, uh, with New Horizons. Uh, uh, my good friend Alan Stern, Chief Plutophile par excellence, and his team, they're flying New Horizons past Ultima Thule and uh, Kuiper Belt object. And um, they're threading the needle very finely. They go uh, three and a half thousand kilometers uh, uh, distance past that object, which is nothing uh, if you sort of put it in relation to the distance uh, the spacecraft is from us. Um, so, um, and it will be uh, streamed live from um, their uh, uh, mission control center. So, uh, do yourself a favor, look at it. It's it's going to be good. Hmm. All right. Now that is that is going to be very special. I think. I suppose it's going to take another year to to fetch all the, that set of data as well. Yes, uh, so uh, because the, the, the data downstream is worse than what you had with your dial-up internet. So, um, and, and uh, you know, even though the, the cameras are um, not huge, huge, huge in terms of um, um, pixels per photo, but still, it, it takes an awful long time to, to, to download it. And... Um, Again, they're flying past and, and they point and shoot at the, um, at the, the Kuiper Belt object, which means for a while the spacecraft is very busy and um, so it won't sort of immediately um, downlink photos. They'll, they'll take days or weeks before you see some really good stuff. Hmm. Well, let's, uh, I'm actually really interested to see what that's going to look like mm. because everything, every time we find a new world and it never meets expectations. Um, yeah, but I mean, with, 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 uh, I mean, Pluto probably doesn't really count as a new world because we knew it was there, but, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm counting Pluto and Mercury as in the first time we've had a close mm. look at the surface, mm. both times, absolutely surprising. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I thought it was crazy i mean pluto the, the the detail of some of the stuff and what they actually found is is yeah i mean i i always love it there's um, this one um, i think it's twitter twitter feed who every day you get your your daily feed of a pluto pluto photo <laughs> some detail and and it's just just um the, the, the diversity of terrain and what, what, what you can see is just, um, yeah, it, it warrants another mission, really. Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, then, um, did, you, did you actually check out um, this Japanese, um, uh, uh, Japanese, Chinese, sorry, uh, 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 Chinese mission to the moon, the lander? Oh, yeah. 
I haven't followed that. Um, mm. I'm aware that it's happening. I don't, I don't know what the status is. Yeah. I, uh, the is landing on the far side, correct? Yeah. I mean, they, they launched uh, um, the, the mission successfully. I mean, it comes really in two parts. And in June, uh, the, the communications part was, was launched. Uh, it's a communications satellite which um, uh, orbits around uh, the, the Earth-Moon Lagrange point L2, which is in itself uh, a novelty because I don't think anyone has done that before. Um, and the reason for that is to accommodate for, for seamless communication with the lander, which will land on the uh, far side of the moon, which we obviously can't see from Earth, uh, i.e. communications with a thing like that, it's not possible. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so uh, the second part, which consists of the lander and a rover called Chang'e 4, um, was successful. And um, so they they in in transit at the moment, and I would think they go in a, a lunar orbit and then at some uh, still not disclosed date uh, I would say in January that they attempt the landing and uh, if that goes to plan it's the first soft landing on on the far side of the moon and um, with a lander and a rover and, uh, and, and a pretty good science suite on board so definitely something to look at uh, doesn't get a lot of attention in, in the media because A, the Chinese Space Agency, um, it's a little bit like the Russians in the past. Um, they're very secretive, so they they launch it first and then they say they did it uh, just in case something goes wrong. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and then, um, yeah, also, of course, with... with um, sort of the political ramifications, China with some people is not particularly popular, so uh, some media outlets just choose not to report it, but um, I think if you take politics aside and you just look at the, the science uh, side of things, um, well, uh, it, it, it's definitely an, a really um, noteworthy mission, and um if it goes to plan, the, the science out of it will be pretty good. That's also something to look forward to then. When are the results going to come? Uh, well, I suppose, like you said, it's secretive, but is there any idea when we can expect to see something? I would say uh, sometime in January. I mean, once they're down and and, and it's not crash-landed, if you, if you remember uh, the last uh, lander and, and, and rover, uh, that was landed uh, uh, on the moon. I think it was a couple of years ago or so. Um, mm. the, the the photos uh, came very quickly. I mean, then once the success is there, they definitely broadcast it. Um, I'm sure. And there's a, mm. a couple of instruments on board. Uh, some, a German one on uh, the lander, and I think a Swedish one on on the rover. So there's international cooperation. So and those scientists, they definitely want to see what happens. Uh, so there, there will be some some information coming out for sure. Right, right. Well, that's good then. That's good. Mm. Um, what else have we got? Um, I suppose um, 
2018 was was uh, definitely a, a very busy year for for launches, predominantly with with um, um, unmanned missions. Um, but um, something to look forward to is uh, in 2019 um, the the crude launches from um, from the states from U.S. soil because you've got um, SpaceX that, um, coming up with their Crew Dragon launch in January, uh, unmanned first, but nevertheless, it's the real deal. Um, currently planned, let me have a look. Ooh. Where are we here? Um, January 17th, um, that's American time. Um, as it stands, um, they want to uh, launch that one. And if successful, the, uh, the crude launch is, I believe, in July or August um, in the coming year. So it's pretty good. And Boeing is not far behind. So they, they uh, do their uncrewed one, I think, in March, if I'm not mistaken. So um, there's definitely something um, exciting. And like with all things space and people, um, also with a, a bit of risk to it. So um, fingers crossed uh, that yeah. everything goes well. Because as we've seen with the last Soyuz launch, um, or the, not the last, but the M Soyuz MS-10 with the aborted launch, things can go pear-shaped. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else? No, that's... Uh, I mean, there is a plethora of, of launches and, uh, <laughs> and, and um, everyone who's um, interested in that, uh, uh, there is a... a Quite a number of websites which lists launches and and um, adjusts them uh, because launches are um, often a bit in flux and if something um, doesn't look right they, they scrub them so, um, so it's, it's when it's printed on paper it's it's no longer good usually so uh, yeah. check it check it on the on, on the internet and and for and watch it uh, because pretty much every launch gets streamed live these days and and um, so have a look at it it's a good one i i, uh, I enjoy it every time never get bored of it yeah well then before we close off uh, I just want to plug something, um, a friend of mine. Um, you'll remember back episode 26, we interviewed Neville Young. Yes, um, that's right. Mm. Yeah, and as you'll remember, Neville wrote a book called Astronomy Within Reach and a couple of years back, and it sold quite well. But the publisher decided they needed to clear old stock to make space for new titles. And rather than let the unsold copies get pulped, he went and bought the entire supply, and he's okay. been selling them privately ever since. <laughs> okay, so, um, so so Neville Neville lives in the garage because his house is full of books. Oh no no, it's it's, it's only half of his spare room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've seen this. I've seen the stack. It, it it is a pile about the size of a bed. It reaches to the ceiling, but. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um. However, in fact, I actually bought a few copies from him when I did the interview, which I was using as giveaways for, for listeners. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, Neville's got about 200 copies left. So he has announced a Christmas special. Uh, you can have the book. You can have the book in the English or Afrikaans edition for 100 rand, which is about seven US dollars. Um, that, that's a that's a bargain. That's really, that really good price. Very mm. cheap. I mean, these these books were going for 300 rand when they were on the shelves. Mm. Um, he's been selling them for 150. Um, I'm not sure he's even trying to make that much of a profit on them. I think he just wants, you know, his books to be read as widely as possible. Um, but yeah, until the until the end of the year, until the 31st, he's selling them for 100 rand each. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put a link to the page where you can order them, um, or you can just you can just Google for his his professional brand, as it were, his Star Waders. Um, it's on that website. So if you yeah, if if you if you'd like a copy of it, um, drop him a mail or 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 use his portal and and, and grab yourself a copy. It's a good mm. book, so it's, it's well worth having. Uh, that's all I had to say about that. Um, yes. Yeah, so then I guess it is time to time to wrap up. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Clem, for uh, depriving yourself of sleep like this, sitting up so late for us. Yeah, it's uh, t- twenty to three. So uh, yeah, mm. that's uh, that's okay. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll I will step outside in a minute and have a look if it's actually clear before was sort of a bit mad. But uh, <laughs> but now uh, maybe I get treated to a Christmas star. Who knows? Hey, that would be nice. Yeah. Mm. So if you if you really want to show your appreciation to Clem for the extra effort he's put in for us, uh, go ahead and leave us a review somewhere. Um, just uh, tell everyone how amazing uh, the show is. Uh, with this kind of dedication, I think I think we deserve a couple of five stars then. Uh, you know, because this is, this is what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to pump yourself and ask for great reviews. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, any review at all, uh, suggestions, uh, things you would like um, to hear, um, want us to talk about, and um, yeah, if you like it, um, you can also jump on to um, the Patreon page of the show and um, show your support. In cold hard coin. I do like me some cold hard coin. <laughs> so, that's, so far, I haven't actually spent a cent of it. It's still just accumulating, and the idea is that we're going to get some 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 better equipment and up our sound game a bit. So, mm. Who knows? Might be can do some interesting things. Maybe start paying for people to do transcriptions. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm. But uh, yeah, of course that that needs the support because that is a bit out of my personal budget and. Um, Poor old Clem is doing this for free, so uh, maybe one day we can buy him a Christmas present or something. But uh... oh, I'm so <laughs> I'm so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Otherwise, just a simple subscription. You know, then at least we get to, we get to see the numbers, how many people are actually listening to this. Mm. And of course, if you want to speak to us directly, if you don't want to do the public statement, that's fine as well. You can just drop us a mail at podcast at urban-astronomer.com. Mm. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook and leave us messages there. There's links to all of these things on the website at urban-astronomer.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that's that's all I got to say. Pretty much, yeah. So otherwise, um, have a safe um, Christmas with or without Star, and uh, don't drink too much. And um, as I said in in last mission update, uh, look up at the sky and not at your bloody iPhone. 
There we go. Thank you very much for that. Mm. And uh, yeah, clear skies, everybody. Bye-bye. Cheers.